Now, when I was in college, I was a, a history major. Um, I loved a lot of other things, but I focused in on history, and I uh, emphasized primarily uh, 18th, 19th, 20th century stuff, modern European and modern American history. And, and one, of course, one of the eras that you, one of the events that you really focus on when you're studying um, European history, modern European history, is, is World War II. And I just found it fascinating. I remember even as a kid, I found it fascinating, just the, the stories of heroism and, and knowing some of the men in my town who had served. And it's just uh, really incredible. You read the stories of the storming of Normandy. Uh, you hear about uh, Iwo Jima, uh, some of the battles, Pearl Harbor, on and on and on. Just fantastic stuff, incredible stuff uh, just to study and, and to be inspired and, and to be humbled. Uh, and, and anyhow, uh, one of the stories that uh, I found really curious happened after the war. Um, after the war, uh, there were these islands in the, in the Pacific uh, that uh, General MacArthur had bypassed on the way to Japan that still had Japanese soldiers on them. And, and they did not know that the war was over. And so what they had to do is MacArthur set up these big uh, loudspeakers and they would project out the message into the jungles and the mountains of these islands saying, the war is over, peace has been declared, lay on your weapons and, and, and come out. Uh, but they thought it was a trick, and so MacArthur got the emperor of Japan to do the same, only obviously in Japanese, and he spoke, the war is over, peace has been declared, come out, lay down your weapons. And then gradually some of these thousands of soldiers began to come out of the jungles you know, and go back to their lives. The last soldier to come out of the island was in March of 1974, 29 years after the war was over. People were just dumbfounded by this, and they asked him, why? Why did you wait so long to come out? His answer was, well, I was, I was afraid. I thought it was a trick. And so, and so I stayed hidden. And we hear that story, and it's, it's kind of sad, and, and we're a little bit puzzled. Why would you remain in hiding and miss out on 29 years of life? Why would you would trade a different life, a, a life of freedom with family and friends, of, of work and, and experiences? Why would you trade that and remain in, in hiding on an island for 29 years? You know, there's a spiritual dynamic that runs under this psalm that we can apply to this story about the Japanese soldier. You see, it's a human experience, a very human experience for us when we're afraid to go into hiding. We see this from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. What happens? Adam and Eve sin, we read, and, and they, they go into hiding. And, and it says the Lord God came walking in the garden and he asked, where are you? Now God knew where they were, but he was asking, he's trying to draw them out. Where are you? And Adam says, well, we heard your voice, but we were afraid and so, and so we hid. You know, tradition says that King David wrote Psalm 32 after his great sin with Bathsheba. You remember the story? Uh, king David, king of Israel, is out on his roof one day. He looks down. He sees this gorgeous woman in the building over on the roof bathing, and she doesn't have anything on. And he's attracted to her, and, and he knows he shouldn't, but he brings her to him, and they consummate the relationship, and they think they're okay. But then she becomes pregnant. She's pregnant. And to cover things up, they, he, he brings the husband back and he arranges for the murder of the husband. And King David, in a sense, went into hiding. In the words of the psalm, he tried to, to cover up his, his sin. He tried to cover himself. And look at the result. Verse 3. 
When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. One of my uh, favorite authors is Dallas Willard. He passed away recently but in his late 80s. But wonderful philosopher, theologian, uh, preacher, and author. <laughs> and he writes a story about a, his uh, young two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter named Larissa. And she was playing in the backyard one day, and she was, she was uh, learning how to make mud, you know, make mud pies and things like that. And she called mud warm chocolate. And it didn't take long, of course, the two-and-a-half-year-old. There was mud all over her, and she was in the mud. And, uh, but the grandmother who was watching her didn't notice because she was reading the book, and her chair was kind of turned at an angle and didn't notice her. But when she did, she cleaned her up and said, Now, no, Larissa, now, no more of that. And so then she turned her chair to watch Larissa. Well, pretty soon the two-and-a-half-year-old went back to the warm chocolate factory, but this time she made eye contact with, with her grandmother and said, Don't look at me, Nana. Okay? And Ortberg's and Willard said, uh, Nana, being a little bit codependent, agreed. And so three times, as a little girl was playing in the mud, three times she said, don't look at me, Nana. Okay? And Dallas Willard writes of his granddaughter, thus the soul of the little child shows us how necessary it is for us that we be unobserved in our wrongdoing. We, we hide. There, there's, there's a businessman for example, who checks into a hotel room, and the hotel room has a policy right there stated on, 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 the, on the TV. The name of the movie you rent will not appear on your statement. And so he reaches for the remote, and he fires up a little prayer. Don't look at me, God, okay? Or maybe there's a student taking an exam, and there's pressure. The adrenaline's flowing, and they, they need to ace this test. They've crammed, but they're, they're freezing up. They can't remember, and they look to the right, and they write down an answer, and they look to the right again. And they write down another answer and they sort of throw up a prayer. Don't look at me, God. Okay? Or there's a, a woman out for coffee with a friend and she says something that's mildly funny, sort of sarcastic about her husband. And she senses in the other woman a kindred spirit. And so she goes for it. And over the next 90 minutes, she roasts her husband at the stake of criticism. But even as that conversation is going on, there's another one going on with her and God. Just, you know, I need to get this off my chest. Don't, don't listen in. Don't, don't look at me. Okay, God? Willard says that this may be one of our most common prayers, one of our least acknowledged prayers, one that we may not even be aware of that we are praying. Don't look at me, God. Okay? You know, it's a cycle that we find ourselves in as human beings. We sin, we hide, and we try to cover ourselves. And we try all sorts of tricks and devices to do this covering. David, for instance, used the tool of deception. He, they commit adultery. She becomes pregnant. And so to cover it up, he brings the husband home, hoping that they'll, they'll be together and, and the pregnancy will thought, be thought to be his. But the husband doesn't. And it didn't work. And, you know, so he tried to deceive. Or we can sometimes try to attack the, 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 on, uh, the, try the attack of ignoring our sin. Maybe deceiving doesn't work, so we try to ignore it. Out of sight, out of mind, smooth it over, pretend it didn't happen, move on. Maybe that's what uh, Peter did after he denied Jesus three times. After Jesus comes back from the dead and they, they interact, it doesn't say in Scripture until the very end of the chapter, uh, the book of John, that they talked about it. And Peter, after Jesus returns, uh, we find Peter out, out fishing. Maybe he just threw himself into his work. I don't want to think about what I've done, what I've said, what I didn't do. I'm just going to throw myself into work and just ignore it. 
Again, we understand that. We can do that too. We throw ourselves into work or we throw ourselves into a relationship or family or sports or the internet or TV or food. We want to be occupied with other things. It keeps us from being alone with our thoughts and with our our conscience. We ignore our sin. Another method we sometimes use is to justify ourselves. Yes, I did wrong, but... Well, you don't understand. My wife said this, or my kids did this, or that stupid idiot driver in front of me did that, and I I had no choice. We try to justify. We try to deceive. we, We try to ignore our sin. But the Scripture says that when we do that, God's hand, His conviction falls heavy. When we mask our sin, we groan and we fail and our souls begin to shrivel up. That's what Psalm 32 says in verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, David writes, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. In the Hebrew, the language in which this psalm was written, it means literally that your body's moisture has been evaporated, sort of like a, a, a grape in the sun, like it turns into a raisin, just shriveled up, and you begin to fade away, and you're diminished, and you become less of the person that you're meant to be. That's what David is describing here. You know the feeling, a guilty conscience, a pit in your stomach, you can't sleep, your mind races about something, you feel terrible. You know, the studies show that our, our body changes when we have a guilty conscience. I mean, that's why they, how they can measure lying on a lie detector test, right? Your heart rate increases, your, your breathing changes. Uh, at Temple University, they're doing some research using brain imaging technology to study this phenomenon. And they found that there's a lot more going on in the brain when we tell a lie than when we tell the truth. Dr. Scott Farrow, who's one of the researchers there at Temple, says lying is a complex behavior. There's more activity, there's more interactions during a lie than during truth-telling. Abraham Lincoln said, no one has a good enough memory to be a successful liar. What did I tell them? What did I say? What exactly? You have to cover, cover, cover. We try different methods to cover our sin, but God's hand falls heavy. Verse 9 says, do not be like the, the horse or the mule, which has no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked. And, and David is describing a, a person here who is resisting God's correction, God's love, God's grace and mercy, being stubborn-headed, being bull-headed, ignoring, covering, deceiving. But there's a different way. David models for us confession in verse 5. Then I acknowledge my sin to you, speaking of God, And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, it's real easy to confess other people's sins, isn't it? We're really pretty good at that. It's not so easy to confess our own sins. And there's a lot to be said about confession in the Bible. It's a big subject. Well, let me just say this, that all sins ultimately are committed against God first and foremost. He's created us to be in his image, which would be holy and and, and just and and, and, and not sinning. And so first first and foremost, when we sin, we we sin ultimately against God first and foremost. Even when I sin against you on a horizontal level, in a very real sense, 
The way I treat you is the way I treat God. So when we confess, we always begin by confessing to God. We acknowledge that what we've done is wrong. We confess and we ask for his forgiveness. Now, when appropriate, when possible, we also are to confess to each other. James 5 says we are to confess our sins to one another. But we don't stop there. It's not just, here's what I've done. It's not exhibitionism. Boy, what a terrible person, person I've been. It says, then pray for one another. We are to confess our sins and then pray for each other. That we would be strengthened, that we resist temptation, that we would live differently. And then the result is, James says, is, is then you will find healing. Perhaps physical, but primarily emotional, mental, spiritual, and relational healing. Therefore, James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might find healing. When God forgives, it's taken care of. 1 John 1, 9 says, we confess, when we confess, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when God forgives, he grants peace and mercy and blessing. David experiences this, experienced this in, in verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the person whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. When we try to cover our sins, we know what happens. We shrivel up. But when we confess our sins to the Lord and to each other, we are set free. And we know freedom and peace and healing with each other and healing, of course, with God. And a burden is lifted. It's sort of like when you're, uh, you're maybe bench pressing. And you have one last rep, you're trying to get up and, and you're pushing hard and your muscles are tired, they're fatigued and, and it's not, you know you're not going to make it so you begin to twist and do things you're not supposed to do, arch your back just to get that weight up but you can't do it and it sinks back on your chest and you're pinned and there's no way getting that burden off your chest. What do you do? You ask for help, right? And your spotter, your friend, steps in and helps you get that off your chest. When we confess to each other, that's exactly what it, what it does. There's, there's a weight upon us when we, when we sin and, and we don't confess to each other. And the way to get that weight off is to confess to God and when possible and appropriate, to confess to a person who is safe and understanding and wise and mature in their faith. And that weight is, that weight is lifted and we're set free. Our sins can be covered. They are covered through Jesus Christ. It's like when you're at a restaurant and you get in and you find out, well, this place is way more expensive than I thought. You know, I left my credit card at home. All I have is cash. This is way more than I can afford. And, and the bill comes and you're thinking, what can I do? How long am I going to have to wash dishes here? What's going to happen here? And, and the waiter senses your distress and he comes up to you and says, don't worry, sir. Um, while, while, over in the corner, you didn't notice him, but your dad's in the corner and, and he's covered the bill. Uh, you don't owe anything. It's, it's taken care of. And, and that's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. We all owe a debt through our sin that we can never, ever repay. But Jesus Christ, God sends his son, Jesus Christ, and had him die on a cross for our sin and says, um, you know, don't worry about it. Trust in me. Confess your sin. It's taken care of. I've taken care of the debt. You don't have to cover up anymore. You are now covered. Covered by me. It's taken care of. I guess the question I want to end with this morning <laughs> is, um, is are you covering up 
or are you covered? Are you covering up things in your life that you need to confess to God, that you need to confess to others, or are you covered? Have you received God's grace and forgiveness and mercy? Do you know the experience that David had of being blessed, of knowing peace and joy and freedom because your sins are covered? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you again for your Son, Jesus the Christ. And Lord, we thank you that um, Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Um, Our debt is taken care of. Our sins are covered. And your scripture tells us that as far as the east is from the west, so far have our sins, our transgressions, been removed from us. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And we come before you today, and we want to be people who, who do your word. And so, Lord, help us to be people who keep a short account, that we would take care of things quickly, that when we sin, as we all will do, that we would confess our sin to you, and that we would confess to others that we would pray for each other, and that we would find healing. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you through Christ our Lord. Amen.